saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed epiphany season to all of you this Tuesday, February the 15th, I almost said 14th, as Valentine's Day, as the light of Christ shines on us from Matthew chapter 17. We pray that everyone had a wonderful Valentine's Day, and as we continue through Epiphany, it is important for us to continually to see the light of Jesus, and today, boy, do we see it as we go to the true historical event in Scripture of Transfiguration. The church will celebrate Transfiguration very soon here on February 27th, and this is truly the mountaintop experience, which we will talk about today, where they heard the voice of the Lord proclaim who Jesus was, and also some important connections that we see throughout Matthew about the Old Testament and the New Testament, Elijah, Moses, how does this connect? We will slowly go through it, the story we have heard many times, to mine the depths of the riches of Christ, for the gifts are ready ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for their, your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome back Pastor Adam DeGroat of Calvary Lutheran Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Pastor DeGroat, happy epiphany and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Good to be with you, Pastor Finner. How are you? Uh, it's great to have you on. Last time we spoke and we studied together was October. So give us an update. What's going on for you, your family, and the saints at Calvary Lutheran? Yeah, not much. Uh, everyone's uh, going pretty well here at, at Calvary. It's uh, good to have um, uh, the, the, the church gathered together around Word and Sacrament. And just, you know, as we, it was kind of funny as I looked at the text for this week, uh, Matthew 17, actually. Calvary's already observed this um, uh, a uh -huh. couple of weeks back um, on, uh, I guess, the 6th of February. Um, so in the one-year lectionary, which is a, a, a lectionary that's also used, um, we've looked at it. So it, it, it strangely got me prepared uh, for today uh, for you guys to be celebrating that on the 27th, you said. Yes, yeah, the three-year lectionary, and that's a good reminder to our listeners, is that there's two lectionaries roaming around in our churches in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, both of which clearly point us to Christ and the Word. So uh, Pastor DeGroat's congregation is in the one-year lectionary, which um, uh, has a little bit different schedule. And for example, my congregation follows the three-year lectionary. And like I said, both <laughs> points us to Christ, gives us the Word, and is a faithful way for us to follow. So yeah, well, good. Well, then for you, our listeners who are in the one-year lectionary, you've already celebrated this. So um, <laughs> makes it even more rich, I would say. Pastor, how about your family and, and, uh, and, and for yourself? I, you didn't mention yourself, so go ahead. Yeah, no, uh, doing very well. Family's doing well. School's going well. Hockey just... Uh, Hockey just ended. If you Minnesotans up there can believe that, there is hockey in New Mexico. <laughs> and, and so watch out if you're from the Great White North. Uh, these desert boys and girls down here, uh, they're fighting pretty fierce. So Knox is doing well in school, and Melissa, is, uh, she's doing very well. We have an exchange student also uh, this year from Sweden. Um, oh, so nice. he's he's been doing very well. He's a senior in, in high school, and uh, it's, it's certainly been a blessing. And then I'm, you know, Realizing that I've got to I've got to get back outdoors again, which is a lot easier uh, here in uh, New Mexico. Do some fly fishing and do some running. So, um, looking forward to that. I almost did the, the interview from outside today, but I didn't want to rub it in too much. 
Yeah, well, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I tell you what, uh, the, the question is going to be, and I don't know if our listeners are worried about this, but I know that Minnesotans are wondering, has Knox got a mullet? This is Pastor DeGroat's son. Does he have a mullet that would make any Minnesota hockey player proud? It's not quite a Minnesota level, but he is fast approaching, so watch out. <laughs> Very good, Pastor. As we gather together this morning, we are here about the words. So, Pastor, can you begin our time in prayer? I'd love to. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Granted, we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text today, as you can tell, Pastor DeGroat has done much study on this, preached on it, uh, uh, looked upon it, so great time to ask any question that you wish. KFUO at KFUO.org, or give us a call on this live program, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Pastor, let's start this way. I'll be reading all the verses from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13, for, I mean, this is a very important text for us. Not only is it, I would say, a transition in the book of Matthew, but it's something we celebrate in the church, something that connects the whole scriptures. So, and, and often, I don't know how you are, Pastor, but I, you know, you, you kind of you say, oh, I know the story. I've gone through this many times. I'm good, you know. Sure. And if we do, if we do that, then we, we lose track of the riches that are there within. So I'll be reading all 13 verses and want to get your introductory thoughts so we begin. Reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture, Matthew chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come. And he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. This is our word this morning, Pastor. How do you want to start us off on the right foot? Well, I, I appreciated how you started in there, Pastor Finner, and in looking at, you know, the transfiguration is sort of a story that we all know uh, very well. And then certainly the transfiguration is one of those. But I think as we look at it, it's, you know, as you're reading it, and I, I love that as you go through and you read and you understand what Paul says is that faith does come by hearing. But there's so much in the transfiguration that if we if we hear just one particular aspect of the account of transfiguration, there's, there's so much that we lose. And I think yet with that, Matthew is so good 
of being able to articulate so succinctly who this Jesus is, what he's come to do, who he's come to do it for, and by what means he's going to do it. And then he'll use and tie all sorts of wonderful things into the text that, that really help us to get connected, not just to our family history, but even more so, Jesus is pulling us forward. And we'll see that as we see uh, or rather Peter wanting to build uh, tabernacle booths or, or tents, um, that Jesus is constantly constantly pulling us forward um, into things that are far greater than we could ever imagine, ask, or even even ask, or even even know about. So it's a wonderful, wonderful text. So I think it's, it's a very general uh, introduction as we go through, um, mm-hmm. but it's just a matter of being able to, I think, for the Transfiguration especially, to, to see where it is that the text really takes us into, and to look at, you know, what the, the references are in the Old Testament, and, and also where it is that we're, we're being uh, sort of pulled forward into, with the understanding that Christ will be with us uh, all along the way. And, that, and, and I love the simplicity of how you did, how you, how you explain that, because it is a, a true story in Scripture that we can also make up a lot of stuff. And I, I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just saying we naturally sure. can say, oh, you know, this is there and this is connected to this. And, and then we lose sight of exactly what you said, that Christ and the Lord keeps moving us forward in this context to the cross, Right. right. And then and yeah. in our lives, moving us forward in faith as well. So um, it's 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 important. So we'll go slow and we will dig in, but make sure we're keeping it simple, because I don't know. I'm a simple guy. Pastor DeGroat is more less is more uh, complicated, more not complicated, more complex. He understands things, but we'll get through it as we clearly point our eyes to Christ. So verse one. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Like you said, let's keep this simple. What's going on? Yeah, and that's the beauty of the, of the Synoptic Gospels. And Synoptic Gospels, for those who are listening, is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, so the Synoptic Gospels help us to understand this. Luke articulates the reason they go. They go there to pray. And, and then Peter, James, and John are not taken because they're Jesus' favorites. They're taken because they're part of the inner circle. And so they're brought to this place where then we understand as Christians that, well, well why am out? Why not a boat? I mean, Jesus does things on boats, too. Why not, you know, the plane? Why not, you know, in another specific place? But we understand from what the scriptures, which are historical, but are also accurate in terms of revealing who um, who the Messiah is and who he is for us, is that important things happen on mountains. So Mount Sinai, of course, mm-hmm. we know is where, where Moses uh, is there uh, conversing with God, and he comes down with the tablets. We know the Sermon on the Mount. We see that in, in Matthew's Gospel earlier. We see it here in the Transfiguration, but but it's all pointing, and all of these mountaintops are pointing toward one more important mountain, and that's the mountain of Golgotha. So so there they are, and we understand that, that they're going there for a specific purpose, to pray and to be away, but also that, that there's going to be something very magnificent that happens, but this is not the ultimate mountain. Um, this is simply a part of this sort of mountain chain that is all pointing forward to the Mount of Calvary, the Mount of Golgotha. And you're right, the inner circle dynamic, we can really get caught up on that. You know, this is like a, an office episode where we're, we're in the inner circle that doesn't exist. You know, we could really get caught up yeah. on that. But really the focus here, like you said, is the mountain, that it's continually pushing us forward um, uh, to remind us of something's important happening here. And there's more kind of an anticipation piece. 
I think Matthew does this beautifully throughout the gospel is that he builds up the anticipation. And when you kind of slowly go through it, you start to see how he unveils it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here we see Peter, James and John, just what it is on a mountain by themselves. That's all we know so far. Anything else you want to highlight before we move on? No, that's that's very good, and I think the, the the wonderful thing too is that we also see in Matthew's gospel is we know that the final mountain, the mountain of Golgotha, uh, of Calvary as well, um, is is going to be a, is, is it's going to be a different mountain in a lot of ways because although Sinai, the Sermon on the Mountain, and and uh, here on Transfiguration um, are important, um, you know they're they're expressly written most specifically in Matthew's gospel that they're written first for the Jews, not because the Jews were the were 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 the favored ones necessarily. Um, but because to the to, first to the Jews it would come, but the importance of what Jesus is pulling them forward to is that on Golgotha, ironically, um, it's not going to be a Jew who confesses that Jesus is the Christ. See, that's the thing that the other thing I'd like to talk just real quickly is that the after six days is that six days before, of course, Peter had confessed that Jesus was the Christ, and it won't be until again we see the next person who will confess Jesus as the Christ will be somebody that's not a Jew on the day he's crucified. It will be the Roman guard who is, a, who, is a, who is a Gentile, who is confessing the same thing that Peter had confessed, as Matthew's referencing, six days prior to this. So it's such a wonderful thing that we see, that Matthew's connecting us, and the Holy Spirit, of course, is guiding us to see that all of this is, in, is, is interconnected. And those at Calvary know of the fancy word that we talk about, the perspicuity of Scripture. Uh, it's just a fancy way of saying that, Scripture interprets Scripture, and all the Scriptures agree and confess Christ to us, our Lord. Well, let's keep moving forward with that truth. As you said, you know, they've, they've confessed the truth. Now we it slowly gets revealed. And this is why this is also, I mean, Transfiguration is for Transfiguration Sunday, but it connects beautifully to Epiphany as we see who this Jesus is. And Matthew, who this King is and how it all connects. So verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So, I mean, it, this happens quick. I mean, what's going on here? Transfigured. What does this mean? How, how does this all? What, what's happening? Yeah, no, it's just. I mean, it, it's 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 magnificent. It, it's magnificent in understanding that Jesus is not. He's not reflecting light. Um, he is the light of the world. He himself is light. His face shone like the sun because because he is light incarnate. But the other thing that's so interesting about this is that it's it's not the substance of Jesus changes. He's still fully God. He's still fully man. And and you see that he is a human man is radiating this light. But what's different is is now all of a sudden there's a change in the way that the disciples see him. So something happens where all of a sudden it's, it's this, and that's the beauty of Epiphany. It's, it's sort of this, aha, aha, there it is. Mm-hmm. They start to see him differently. But it, and then it goes back to the family story you talked about. But just to see him changed doesn't necessarily tell us who he is or what he's doing for us. And that's going to be important as we start to see, because Peter has a really, as we get to verse, uh, rather verse four, and now I'm getting ahead just a little bit. Peter's going to have a little bit of a silly reaction to what it is that he sees. So the reality is, is that seeing this, they understand something's different. But then Matthew's mm-hmm. going to be introducing in the next verse two very important Old Testament figures, which are start, going to start to make this aha even more profound. So we see how it is that Jesus continues to pull them forward. And he's essentially saying to them, you know, don't latch hold to the fact that we're on a mountaintop. 
don't latch hold to the fact that I'm radiating light because I've got so much more for you to see and even better, so much more for you to hear. And let's not go too far with this, um, with the shining of the light, because there's more to reveal as we go through. So verse 3, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Like you said, there's there's this bright light, and then there's this like, whoa, how'd these guys get here? What is going on? <laughs> these, um, the you know, Peter, James, and John clearly would have known of Moses and Elijah. I know what I've been in Bible studies where we start focusing on, well, how did they really know it was Moses and Elijah? Were they wearing something? Did Moses have a, a you know, shepherd's staff? Did, you know, Elijah have this? And I was like, oh my gosh, you could spend a half an hour on that. That's not the point. The point is they knew, no question about it, it was there. And what's the significance of Moses and Elijah showing up with Jesus? What would you have to say? Well, it's funny, too, because, I mean, you almost see it, and you're like, well, here's, here's three of the, here's, if, if we look at it and just say, well, here are three biblical powerhouses. I mean, and we know it's because they're, it's like that old Seinfeld episode to make New York more friendly as everybody wore a name tag. It's, it's, that's not happening. That's not happening. But they begin to know who these guys are because they're talking about something important. And, 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 you know, for all those Bengals fans out there, or even for the Rams fans, they weren't around the water cooler talking about the Super Bowl. They were talking about something that, that, that's very, very important. They were talking about his exodus. And so the text then says that it talks about his departure, but specifically we understand it's his exodus. And this is really important because, of course, as God, Yahweh, and this is the thing in, in the Old Testament, Yahweh is the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity. So that's kind of a mouthful, but it's just to say Yahweh in the Old Testament is Jesus, but he's pre-incarnate. So here they are, they're talking about this exodus, and what the people of old were reminded of is that God was always going to be with them, even as they went out from the Egyptians into the wilderness for the 40 years that they were there. And so, but this exodus, this exodus that will happen to Jesus in Jerusalem will be far greater than even what Moses or what God did through Moses, because this one's going to include both Jew and Gentile. So we start to see that they're talking about um, this important thing that Jesus is going to do for his people, because on the mountain, and this is the other thing that I forgot to mention with verse one, is that on the mountain, what Jesus, what God does is he gathers together so that he will have a people. And this is important because we know as, as in our sin that because of our sin, we have made ourselves not a people. But God is constantly, constantly, he is gathering us together and he's saying, I'm your God, you are my people. And we'll start to hear that voice from the cloud here in a second where it says, listen, listen to me. Stop talking and listen to what it is that I say to you. Um, and it's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you're, you know, with a group of kids that, you know, is that, you know, the, the, the best way for a child to be able to hear is just to stop their mouths from moving. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And adults but, and adults as well. <laughs> well, well, sure. And we're going to see an adult here in the next verse who, who, who keeps his mouth moving. And it goes back to what you said, Pastor Finneran, is that Peter's trying to, as a good Jewish guy, He's remembering the Feast of Tabernacles. He's remembering all these things. And so we'll see it in just mm-hmm. the next thing coming up. But right here, there's no doubt not who's there. I mean, that's important, too, because Moses is there as the, as the bearer of the law, and Elijah is there as the fulfillment of the—is there as the, as, as the one who's the prophet. 
but they're talking about Jesus, who is the fulfillment of everything that the law and the prophets has spoken. And right there on earth, they're going to see, they see these things, but even better, they're going to bear witness to them as they go forward. And it really brings together all these situations and uh, where, you know, where Jesus is in uh, Nazareth and he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing when it quotes Isaiah 61. And then we hear Jesus talk about how he, he did not come to abolish the law, but fulfill the law. So it really connects a lot of those dots that, that you know, who knows what they were actually feeling at that moment or understanding. But boy, when we see, like you said, the scripture interprets scripture, it comes together and and the connections are everywhere. But ultimately, where does it point our eyes? Points us right to Jesus. So verse four, let's be careful now. We can be very hard on Peter. <laughs> that when Peter does this, um, we don't want to act like, oh, he's just, he's just crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking. You know, I would never do that. Of course, we would say something, probably not this, but wrongly. But it also gives us good teaching moment of what, uh, well, where our eyes and our words should be. Verse four. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I want to stop there, kind of a cliffhanger, if you will. Um, but he says words at the beginning that are good. We sing this in our hymnody, right? Tis good, yeah. Lord, to be here. And then he starts speaking some more. Maybe you should have stopped right there. What, what are your thoughts on what Peter does? <laughs> he, he should have, but he was, you know, maybe he was a little excited. And, and, and you know, we live in a world, uh, a fallen one at that. We're seeing is believing, and 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 you know, and that's you know, God bless Peter. You know, I I'm no different than Peter is in, in so many different things, and I think that's the beauty of transfiguration. Because you know, Peter will write this in his epistle, his second epistle, on uh, chapter one, and I, that may be that may be your epistle that you'll have for transfiguration. Is Peter's going to articulate in that particular epistle? He says. Um, but we have something more sure even than seeing. And then he'll go on to say the inspired, basically the inspired word of God. And that's kind of, you you look at that and you say, well, that's kind of a letdown. (laughs) I mean, there's no shining lights. There's no, you know, there's no booming voice from the heaven, you know, but there's, there's nothing necessarily spectacular about this. But Peter is revealing as, as, and this is after, of course, Christ has been raised from the dead. and, And he, he, he's writing to his, his hearers, and he's saying there's something more profound even than seeing. And I always say this to people, too, is that, you know, when there's a baptism at Calvary, you know, maybe it would be, you know, I don't know, if there were pyrotechnics and, and a, a large booming voice from heaven, or if you actually saw the Holy Spirit come down. But I, but I think the reaction probably would be if we saw that, we would be, we'd be frightened. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but the reality is, is that, um, that's actually happening. And it was a little girl, it was kind of funny through the mouths of babes, that a little seven-year-old girl came to me and pulled on my alb one time, and she said, Pastor, we see Jesus with our ears. My and goodness. you see wow. this happening here, is that what they see is going to lead Peter, as you see, as we see in the text, as we hear in the text. He says some, you know, it, it's it's... It, it gets a little awkward. We'll just say that it gets a little bit awkward, because what 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 Peter doesn't see is what what John is clearly articulating, and in, in, in specifically John one fourteen, is that John articulates this in, in in chapter one verse fourteen where he says Jesus tabernacles with 
us. He comes to us, and he's the one taking us up into his. It's no different than in, in many instances than what we see with Mary and Martha, where um, you know, where, where one's doing a lot of the work and whatever it happens to be, and yet one has done the needful thing, sitting down and listening to Jesus. But that's the thing as Christians is this, is that you know that in, in the discussions of what we do, um, the most profound thing we do is to hear. And it's really, really strange how it is that that works out. And that is that is a struggle because for most of us, including myself, you know, like I've taken emotional intelligence uh, tests and all of that. And well, I have some work to do on listening. And I would say as a culture, we're not great at listening. And to have that little girl remind you, I see Jesus when we listen or when we hear the word, yeah. that's quite humbling because you're like, she's right. And I need to work on that. So I'm, I'm terrified like the disciples were here. Holy moly, Lord yeah. have mercy on me, no doubt. So a good reminder for us today to be listening. And then we see it in action in verse five. Pastor, we have about two minutes before our break. So I just want to touch on a little bit in this verse as, as you know, maybe there's, maybe there's even more that we'll have um, as we go on. So verse five, as he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Now, Pastor, I, I do want to begin this way. He was still speaking when God did something. And then at the very end, and this is different um, than the baptism of Jesus, it is the addition of listen to him. Any connections you yeah. see in that or am I just overreading? No, I, and, and it's good. I mean, you start to see it, you know, in the sense that, okay, the listen to him is, imp- is imperative because um, what is it that Peter is relying on? He's relying upon what he sees. Um, but, but just six days before, and that's why Matthew writes it in the way that he does. Just six days before, Peter, what came out of your mouth came because you heard and the Father had given it to you. This one who's speaking to you now is the same one that was speaking to you then. Okay, so listen. What's important here is just simply um, you're, you're seeing these things that are our wonderful brightness and, and those of the Old Testament. But the other thing that's also happening here is we start to see another connection to the Old Testament, uh, most specifically, um, once again, to the Exodus. Now, of course, how do the people of, of, of Israel know that God was going to be with them? Uh, at night, they knew because there was going to be a pillar of light. And of course, the transfiguration happens at night. Peter, James, and John are half asleep when this happens. So we already see the pillar of light. But we also see here what led them during the day. A cloud now overshadows them. And so this is very synony- this is synonymous with the cloud that also foreshadowed and was with the people of, of, of Israel as they went to the wilderness. And so the cloud goes before Peter, James, and John, and this is going to be the thing that we, especially as, as, as you guys are in the three-year lectionary and for us in the one-year lectionary, we remember that although we cannot see it, what we're going to see as we go to Calvary is going to look bloody and unjust. But it's all covered. It's all veiled. All of this is happening for our good and for the salvation of humanity. The cloud is going to precede us, and though we see it dimly, we know that Jesus, who is the pillar of light and the cloud, is going to go to that final mountain of Golgotha and Calvary to win salvation for us. But he's going to go with us. And that's the thing that's happening in verse 5. And one of the beauties of this is he, like you're, you're, you're saying he's pulling us forward, but it's almost like he's 
pulling us forward by pulling us backwards, you know, by, hey, look at the cloud there. And then he's pulling us forward to the mountain. And it's it's a constant back and forth of what's in the middle of it all. Clearly Christ. Pastor, I want to talk more about that on the other side of our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 17 with Pastor Adam DeGroat, and we'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 17 with Pastor Adam DeGroat of Calvary Lutheran Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Pastor, we are being pulled forward and backwards, always keeping our eyes on Jesus. And as Peter keeps talking, it is the Lord who show us that there's more to this story than to try to hear a confession from Peter. And so it's time to listen. Any any thoughts you have Um with the connection of the baptism of Jesus, the, from the voice of the Father, and the transfiguration. I, I've, I've heard many different thoughts on it, but what are yours? Yeah, no, I, I apologize for that. That was the, sort of the nature of your question before the break, and, and it's good to get back to it. I think, you know, this understanding of, of, of not just going back to um, of what we see in Matthew chapter 3 with the baptism of our Lord, because, of course, you know, what Christ does for us there is, is, is that he has our sins washed onto him. And, and so you know, there's a connection here. And we, we hear a number of different times that the disciples are addressed by God the Father. This is, this is not an outlier in any way. Um, but it is, it is and does relate to Matthew 2. But most specifically, and yet again, it brings us back to, and I think this is the other thing to remember, Pastor Finneran, is that, is that as, as, as Christians, as Lutheran Christians especially, as we look at the Old and the New Testament, is that, you know, it's not that the Old is old and passed away and no good anymore. And it's not that the New is improved or, 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 or gives us a clear understanding. Because the New is the fulfillment, we start to see this, of uh, what it is that the prophets and, and the law have foretold. But Yahweh, and this is the beauty of it too, is that Psalm 2 is, the, is one of the ultimate connections that we see to Matthew 3 and to the Transfiguration, where, where Jesus is called, and then we see this beloved Son, um, who, who's there with the people of old just the same as he is with the people of the New Testament, most specifically here, Peter, James, and John. But even better, how he's here for us. And I think that's the important thing, is that nothing's changed. He's still here bodily. He's, he's still here physically, and he's still still with us bodily and physically, most specifically as the writer of Hebrews addresses in the breaking of the bread and, 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 and specifically in the New Testament and its blood. So going back, I think, to your question of, of, of why there's this addition is that we're simply, as Jesus is, is gently uh, abiding with his disciples as he goes to the cross, 
what they're going to, what, what, what has to be emphasized is, is not don't trust what your, your eyes see, um, but, but trust more what it is your ears hear. Trust more what you hear, because everything you will see, and you'll see this in Luke's gospel, is that you know, once you get to 951 in Luke's gospel, things are going to get really, really hairy really, really quickly. And I think to transfer it to the day and age that we're living in now, there's a lot we're seeing. My goodness, it's Tuesday, February 15th, and, and those, those imminent threats across this world and in our own country right now. But the same applies to us. Don't trust what you see. It, it, it may happen. It very well may happen, as they're saying. But there is something far more trustworthy that will give us comfort and hope, even if these things come to pass, and that it is Christ who will abide with us still. And that's the beauty of how Christ pulls us in. He doesn't pull us up and above sort of the fray. He pulls us right through it. He pulls us right through it, not to straighten it out, but to be able to understand that he is the one that is continuing to provide us with everything that we need for this body and life and the life that's yet to come. It's, it's a wonderful thing that we see happening at the Transfiguration. The hymn that we often will sing, in the Lutheran uh, service book at least, "'Tis good, Lord, to be here," ends this way, and I want to hear your thoughts, because this does connect us to common language in our world today, that you've been, you've been, you've been around this, and I want you to be able to address the question specifically. Is, it says, "'Tis good, Lord, to be here, yet we may not remain," meaning the mountain. This is verse 5, or stanza 5 of 414. But since thou bid us leave the mount, come with us to the plain. Now, we'll get to that about going back down to the plain. But we also hear this common statement that I know you you lived on the West Coast and you've seen mountains. You've, you've been a hiker. I know you and your wife love to be active. We hear this word mountaintop experience. And I, I, I believe it comes from this, really. That's the foundation of it. And then it turns into often something else. What's the danger of seeing something like this, connecting it to a, quote, mountaintop experience, and maybe, and then like, oh, well, we have to go down back to the plane. I mean, I think we can get really lost in our understanding of the point of all this. What are your thoughts as we speak about mountaintop experience and the transfiguration? Well, and yeah, and that's, that's a great thing, because, I mean, you, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no denying the wonder. There's no denying the, the, the glory that's there on, on transfiguration. It's beautiful. And, you know, and, 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 you know, we've got mountains here in New Mexico, and, and, yeah, it's nice to be up there. But, you know, good grief. And, and I'm not saying this was the case for Peter, James, and John, but the air's thin up there. And, and I can't breathe, and I can't get a good food, and I can't get good food and whatever it happens to be. But the reality is that, okay, Jesus is now going to take them really down into what the psalmist writes, right? Jesus is going to be with them as he walks through Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, what mm. else is the world? The world is not mountains. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's plains, it's swamps, it's alligators, it's, it's people that, you know, it's filled with sinners. And, and that's the, what we see, if nothing more, is not, oh, gosh, God, why would you take me down in there? As opposed to what Jesus is saying is, no, it's good for me to be down there with them. And by the way, you are them. But yet, do not look at me standing and floating above you, but see me coming into the midst of you. See me talking to you. And we'll see this as Peter then, Peter, James, and John, as they hear the voice of the Father. They're terrified. So Jesus comes and he speaks to them and he touches them. 
And so we begin to see the nature of who this Messiah of ours is. He's not there saying, well, be good, do good, whatever it happens to be. What, 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 what we see on Transfiguration is the Christ that we will see on the cross, how he rules, how he governs, how he comes to us in mercy and in peace and to shed his own blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's what's such a wonderful thing is that, yes, they go down into this valley, but then they go back up to another mountain of Golgotha. And on that mountain will, ha- will almost happen this, you know, this opposite of a mountaintop experience. Because we look at Calvary and we say, how could anything good happen there? But that's the beauty of what we see, that it is called Good Friday. And it's good, it's good for Jesus to be there. It absolutely is, because he's not there unwillingly. He's there willingly, and he's there for us and for our salvation. So it's, you know, the, the danger, I think, is that as we look at this and say, well, you know, Pastor had a really good sermon this week or whatever it happens to be, and, you know, it's good for us to be here. And, yeah, that'd be great if, if you or I or any of the other pastors could preach these great words. But, you know, what happens if I'm, you know, I, there's a couple of times I, I'll chant the liturgy often and, and, you know, I'm 44 years old, but there's still times my voice cracks. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back to puberty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. There we go. We're down back into the valley now. We've, you know, we've gone from the mountain to the valley, but the reality is we live in the valley. Yeah. We live in the plains. That's where we live. And it's important for us to understand that we don't live on the mountains. It's good to be there and to thank God that we go there, but we don't live there. We live in the valley and we live within the shadow of death, but our Lord is with us to continue to guide us and protect us. And it's, and it's good, like I said, to thank God when we have those, um, but not to insist. And I think that's the thing we'll see in these coming verses is that, you know, oftentimes we demand and tell God how we're going to worship him. But we're going to see this here in verse 6, where, wait a second, they hear the word of God, the Father, and they fall down in fear and in reverence. That is a good posture. And that's a, such a strange thing for us to hear, because we've almost been taught this sort of triumphal way of living. Uh, and we have it. We certainly are triumphal in the blood of Christ. But we're not triumphal in the sense that we are able to tell God um, how it is that we will determine to worship him. Because the reality is that God says, no, I give you me. I give you the words and you speak my words. And that's the beauty of it is that we as, we as his sheep, we as his children, we hear our shepherd and we speak the voice back to him. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And reminder to our listeners, as Pastor DeGroote has, has pointed us to so wonderfully, is that we live in the on the plain, in the valley, not as a downer type of sense, but in, I guess you'd say, in the real world. And, and what happens here is notice when they go down, who is with them. So let's continue verses 6 through 8. When the disciples heard this, this is the voice of the Father, God the Father, they fell on their face and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. I'm reminded of this, and I just want to touch on this and get your thoughts, is Isaiah chapter 6. You know, when, when uh, Isaiah sees the Lord, the train of his robe, fills the temple, he sees all this, holy, holy, holy. He doesn't stand up and say, this is really cool. I deserve to be here. No, <laughs> he very clearly is terrified, just yeah. like these guys. So tell us what happens here when they're terrified and the, and what Jesus does. Well, they're, 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 how do you say they, they've heard who this Jesus is, but they've, they've now seen something that verifies what this is, but, they, but they've interpreted what they've seen incorrectly. 
And so Jesus is always getting them reoriented. That's part of that pulling forward. Okay, we can't stay here. We're going to do. We're going to go down back here. I'm going to accomplish this for you. So they fall to the ground. And and, note, and, and I, I had this on my notes. But notice the wonderful things the Lord has in store for them. See, as Christians, we often say, well, well, it's a new job or it's being accepted to college or whatever. And those are certainly our gifts of God. But notice what the Lord has as he pulls them forward. Terror. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, but this is the beauty. What we fear becomes our God. My gosh, you know, Pastor Finner, and what have we feared over the last two years? Mm. And I'll just leave that as a hanging little whatever that is. And what has become our God? In so many different ways. How many people have not come back? How many people refuse? How many people are, are afraid? And so what we see here is that this is an actual fear, not of a God, and that's the beauty of what Jesus does. Not he, They don't fear him because they think that he's going to smash them. They fear him because they know that he is holy and they are not. That's the beauty. And yet this holy God, look at his posture. He doesn't say, ha ha, I told you so. He says, no. He touches them, and then he says what he'll ultimately say to them as they are in that locked upper room after he's resurrected, fear not. I'm with you, and I'm going with you through all these things, and then we begin to see that great glory, because it seems like we should be pulled into, you know, uh, winning the lottery or having a new job or whatever it happens to be, but no, you know, once again, those are, those are mountaintop things, maybe. Um, but the, the beauty is, is that we need to understand that our Lord is with us when, when there's tremendous fear-mongering, when there's a world that's undone, when we see things happening all around us that we have no control over. What we need to know most is that we're not alone and that there is one who abides with us still, and that's exactly what it is that's happening in here in the Transfiguration. It's wonderful. And it and it, it really does. It's a good sermon for, well, for us, our pastors to preach. It's a great sermon for our parents to proclaim to their children, rise and have no fear. Not to say, hey, there won't be any problems. You know, you're going to be just fine. Or even, let's be honest, to preach to ourselves these words to remind us that, that it, is, it is the Lord Jesus who has conquered all things. And, 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 he, and here, a unique thing that happens is he touches them. So he doesn't, doesn't speak. It reminds me of all these miracles that Jesus does, that people want to touch this robe just because it has power in it. And here he touches them and says, rise and have no fear. Any thoughts on that? I think that's a unique aspect of the ministry of Jesus throughout the Gospels. Yeah, I mean, he, he is, and this is the beauty. You know, this is the two natures of Christ, not separate, but, but, but in, in unity. You know, he is, he, is, he is fully God and he is fully man. And yet what we see in the totality of who Jesus is, is, is not just a man touching them. God, God is touching them. And, 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 and such a wonderful thing where we look at that. And like you said, if we just see this as a story we know so well, my goodness, once again, the seeing, we then, we then do not hear what it is that God is giving to us, which then gives us unimaginable uh, depth as to who God, and this, who God is, that he comes down not just to dwell amongst us, but he is there bearing our suffering. He is there to touch us, to be with us, to lead us, and to guide us. And that's the beauty is that ultimately you'll see that, and I'm not sure, did you read verse 8 yet or, or, or not? 
Oh boy. Uh, no, I don't think I did. Did I? I, you oh, know what? You are listeners will know better than me. Cause I, you know, I'm focusing on Jesus <laughs> here. Um, but yeah, verse eight, let's get to it because they lift up their eyes and they saw no one, but Jesus only. And that's, I mean, that's, they, that's a real emphasis, and I've seen this in commentaries. No one but Jesus only. It's like this double, just in yep. case you're wondering, he's the only one they can see. So what do you got on verse 8? It's unbelievable. It's, it's, it, you know, and, and maybe, you know, I, I hate to be shmarmy here, but, you know, here goes. You know, um, <laughs> you know to, say, to say to your Valentine like you did yesterday, you know, that, that song, and I'm going to sing on the radio. I've always wanted to do that. I'll tell my mom I did. I only have eyes for you. So you see, that was terrible, by the way. I know. Where <laughs> um, we see that right now, all they can see is Jesus. And all Jesus sees is them. It's such an intimate gaze where they understand just for the moment. Um, and, and yet what they will see, what they will constantly be reminded of is that they will see that Jesus is going to this, this, this next mountain of Golgotha. And, and they begin to see, and this is the thing, Peter will lose track of it. The disciples will go away. There's not going to be anybody left on Golgotha. Um, but yet um, our Lord will not cease to go to them. He will never cease to go to them. He sees them. We are the apple of his eye. And yet here in this moment, they see only Jesus and, 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 and who he is and what he's come to do for them. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Now, the essence of what we are studying today happens really in verses 1 through 8. The rest is obviously God's Word. It points us to Christ. But I want to make sure if there's anything else you want to highlight, Pastor, in verses 1 through 8 um, for our listeners this morning before we move on. Well, you know, and I, I think, too, is it, and it goes back to just there's one thing in, in verse six, I think, you know, is to understand is, is that, you know, as these words are coming and having heard it, the disciples fell upon their face and were terrified greatly is, you know, think about this within our divine service is that, you know, we come before God uh, in the divine service. And the first thing we say is, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you. It's the same thing that you had mentioned with regard to Isaiah chapter six is that, what does the Word of God do first? And this is the beauty of what Lutherans have, is we understand this distinction of law and gospel. Is the law reveals my great need, my great depravity, and my great need of a Savior. And so here they are, they're terrified before this holy God, but then we see, as we do in, the, in the each Lord's Day, is that we then see how He's inclined to us. He's inclined to mercy. He's inclined to grace. And he then comes and touches them the same as, you know, your, your pastor would on a Sunday morning, is that he's not maybe physically touching you, but he's coming and he's turning to, to you as a congregation and saying, I, by virtue of my office. And this is the beauty is that this is how it is that Christ continues to give manifold gifts to his church that we can see how it is that he touches us. How does he touch us? Well, he touches us, yeah, in those warm feelings when, when the U.S. wins a gold medal or whatever it happens to be, or the warm feelings of a new job. That's good. Once again, mountaintop experience, give thanks to we and we give thanks for the graciousness of God. But here's the beauty. Another thing with regard to the mountains is that we have to understand is that Christ isn't just here to give us things on the mountains. He's here to be with us present every single moment and day of our lives. And he does and gives these things to us through his church, who he died for. And he gives these things to us through means. And that's the other thing, just real quickly in the notes that I had, is that, you know, there's no shortage of ways in which God has to continue to gather us together for him, for us to be his people and for us to be his God. It's, it's, it's so thorough 
And so there's every I dotted and every T crossed for his people and for the salvation of them. And, and not only that, but for their lives here on earth. It's, such, it's, 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 it's beautiful. It is beautiful. And that's why uh, I want to make sure that we had all that put together, because from here till the end, it's kind of more of a, a teaching moment, a teaching opportunity while they're going down the mountain, you know. So so it, it probably there's some relation to that for us as well, is that we can get caught up on certain things, but we still need clarification as we go down onto the plane of our lives. So I'm going to do this, Pastor. We have about s- seven minutes left in our time. So I'm just going to read verses 9 until the end in verse 13 and bring that all together as one as we hear continue to hear the word of God. Verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that their first Eli- that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he, was re- he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So the first question that really any pastor needs to answer all the time, and to you, our listeners, we've had to address this a number of times in the Gospel of Matthew, but they're coming down, they're excited, they're juiced, you know, it's like working at summer camp, they're ready to go out into the real world and tell the good news, and Jesus says, yeah, by the way, don't tell anyone until I rise from the dead. Bum, 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 you know, so what's happening? What is Jesus doing? (laughs) <laughs> well, that's, that's the beauty of it, you know, but because, because Peter, uh, I mean, you're going to hear how Peter articulates this as he then gets to his second epistle. Because, you know, and that's, True. like I said, mm-hmm. you know, for the, the epistle for, um, for transfiguration, at least in the one year, and I think it's the same in the three years, is that um, he's, he's, and I'm just going to read this, it comes from, and it's just uh, six verses. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, which says that they were there on the transfiguration. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice from him, the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. is what we've talked about this, to this point. We have also, and here's the beauty, Here's the beauty. Don't tell anybody, Jesus says, don't tell anybody about what you've just seen, because you're only going to tell part of the story. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like mm-hmm. when I go fishing, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to come back <clears throat> and tell you of all the different times that I almost had it on my fly, but didn't. I'm going to tell you about the things I want to tell you about the big 24 inch rainbow or brown that I got. You know, I'm going to tell you the fish stories and it's not that they're a lie. It's just to say that that doesn't tell the whole story of what happened. And that's the thing that's happening here is that do not be distracted because the whole story is going to have its completion on Golgotha. But then we see this in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, and I'm reading the King James Version, that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. So really the emphasis there is in, in verse 19 is to say, you and I have something more sure even than the eyewitness testimony of Peter, James, and John. And that is the prophetic word of God. The prophetic word of God that comes to us in such an ordinary way, hearing the word of God in, in, in church, 
reading the Holy Scriptures, meditating, having devotions with our family, living, and this is, just get ready for it, because this is just such a, it's sort of a step down into the valley. It's so ordinary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so ordinary. But that's the wonderful thing, as we look at the world around us, everybody's trying to be extraordinary, and it's really not working out real well. <laughs> um, but yet, here is Christ, who works in extraordinary ways through ordinary means. How is the forgiveness of sins given? Through baptism, through the preaching, through the Word of God, and, and through the body and blood that we receive. So ordinarily, and yet mundanely, given every single day of our lives. And so the other thing, you know, with that too, is just, I mean, to understand, it's not to say, well, you know, don't go and talk to anybody about this. It's not what it is. It's not speaking in that particular way. But only speak of this after it is that you have seen all that is mm. all that I've said fulfilled. So from there, and you know, all I can say is amen. The connection we have a Second Peter chapter two. I mean, how could we, you know, like you said, that scripture interprets scripture. The connections are absolutely everywhere. And I mean, Second Peter, what's he talking about all the time? He's talking about the glory of Christ, and yet still pointing us that we live yet in this ordinary world. I mean, it, it all is connected wonderfully. And then and yeah. then it's kind of like, well, there's going to be a resurrection of the Son of Man. And then they're like, so what about this Elijah guy? And this is a, an important theme, I would argue, throughout Matthew to show that the prophecies have been fulfilled in Christ. And so it's only appropriate that Elijah's highlighted here. And Pastor, we have about two minutes left, actually two and a half minutes left in our time. So tell us about Elijah and the connection that Jesus makes. Well, yeah, and it's just, it goes back to, and, you know, it's one of the things we were, we were taught in the seminary is that the, the last of the Old Testament prophets dies in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just such a strange yeah. thing, right? Because you have John the Baptist here who's continuing to proclaim this baptism under repentance, which Jesus does too. Baptism under repentance is, is a common theme even throughout the New Testament. But you have this one who is the last one who, who is, the, and you see this at the, at the, at the, you know, at the exception of John, he is the one that's the forerunner. He's the one that makes the path straight. He's the one that level, et cetera, so on. And he makes straight the way of the Lord. So you have this last of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist, who is here called an Elijah. Not Elijah in name, but he fulfills the very office of prophet, the office of Elijah. And, and, and so Jesus is saying that, is that, well, okay, yes, he's come, but take note as and the people that have done what what the people who have done what they've done to John, those same people will do that same thing to me. Now, of course, Jesus will not lose his head like John the Baptist will, uh, but Jesus will certainly, um, and that's the thing, he's constantly, yes, he's bringing us back to him, but most specifically, he's taking us back to him in a specific place. He's taking us to him on the cross. Because it's there, like we said before, it's there that we see how he rules. It's there how we, we see he, he rules in weakness. He rules in meekness. He rules by mercy and grace and, 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 and giving the, the payment and, and becoming the propitiation for our sins. All that he fulfills, and by that we see what kind of a king we're dealing with. And it goes back to what we talked about in verse 6, is that, you know, but this has been inherent throughout the entire text. He's inclined to us in those ways by being gentle and merciful with us. 
and giving us uh, giving us most specifically on Golgotha his most precious blood. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Pastor, uh, we have a thirty seconds left. How would you summarize Transfiguration and the verses we read today? <laughs> oh man! Uh, wow! 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 That's about it. You know, it's 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 so thorough. Um, wow. And 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 so prepares us for the journey that that our Lord will take us on as we go through Lent. In 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 in, in not just you know solemn uh, reflection of of our great need of Him, but of understanding that as we trod that road of, of Lent. Um, that he is going to bear with us, and that ultimately it will have its culmination in the forgiveness of those sins which we so desperately need as he dies for us on the cross and rises again on Easter Sunday. It's, it's, it, it, that's, that's, I think, the gist of what we see in Transfiguration. And as you said over and over again, it is beautiful. Pastor Adam DeGroat of Calvary Lutheran Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 17. Pastor DeGroat, thank you again for bringing us his gifts. My pleasure. Good to be with you. I am your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.